You know, folks, we're going to wrap up our series, and we started this. I was looking. It's kind of crazy. We started this series all the way back in January. Here we are in the middle of April. We started this series all the way back in January, and we were talking about rebuilding walls in our lives that we have destroyed. So let's just remind ourselves, the walls crumbling in our lives, our marriages, our families, even in our church, the reason why they crumbled is because we destroyed them. And what do you mean by walls, George? Well, I'm talking about the wholeness, the wellness of your life, your marriages, your families, the church. The reason why we destroy them is because of our sin, because we saw that with with Jerusalem. The reason why the walls were destroyed in Jerusalem is because God used Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to discipline the Jews for their sin. And so they had to rebuild the walls. So we've talked about rebuilding the walls. And, and then the last half of the book has been talking about maintaining them, about what you need to do to maintain the walls in your life so that you don't get to the place where you have messed up walls again in your life. And I'm going to be honest with you. Our tendency is to look at it as once it's fixed, I don't need to pay attention to it anymore. Do you know what I mean? Once it's fixed, I don't need to pay attention to the problem anymore because it's fixed. We don't think about what led to the problem. We don't think about about how to keep ourselves from the problem again. But the fact of the matter is, is if you've rebuilt the walls in your marriages, in your life, you've got to be proactive in what? Making sure that it doesn't happen again. Because, folks, it will happen again. How do I know that? Because each of us are in a cycle of deterioration as far as our relationship with God. We all gravitate towards doing what we want to do. And we're going to see that today because this chapter actually is set. Do you want to, are you ready for this? This chapter seems like yesterday in terms of what's going on in the book of Nehemiah, but it's actually 12 years later. This is 12 years after the rebuilding of the wall. And we're going to see that maintaining the wall and the wellness and the wholeness of your lives, your marriages, your families, even our church, is an ongoing battle. And I think that's the right word. It's an ongoing battle. you got to fight to maintain what's going on in your life, your marriages, your families. Bottom line. You can't coast. Have you noticed that? You ever notice somebody who's in a relationship with somebody and one person decides that they're going to take it for granted with that relationship? What happens in that relationship? It doesn't go pretty far, does it? When one person basically takes for granted what's going on there. It's the same thing in our relationship with God. You can't take your relationship with God for granted. You've got to be proactive. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look, first of all, in Nehemiah chapter 13. We're going to focus, first of all, on the first three verses. Now, with the rest of the chapter, we'll just hit some highlights here and there as far as what's going on. But we're going to focus on the first three verses of Nehemiah 13. So I want you to notice what's going on here. This is actually a statement of what took place before the the 12 years. But look with me. 
On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was that when they heard the law, that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. All right, so let's stop for a moment. So this is right before, right around the time of the wall being rebuilt. They read the word of God, the law, and they see that they're supposed to live separately from the peoples of that area. Why? Because the peoples of that area didn't want to have anything to do with God. So they had to live separately. So now we get to verse 4 through verse 31. We see four problems now. Twelve years later, they haven't learned anything. Twelve years later, they took things for granted. Twelve years later, we see that problems are threatening their well-being again. So let me just kind of go through the problems with you. Here's the first one. All right? So we get to verse 4, if you want to mark this down, verse 4, from verse 4 all the way through verse 9, we see that they had, Nehemiah had an enemy called Tobiah the Ammonite. This was one of the local leaders of the peoples around Jerusalem who were not Christians, excuse me, who were not Jewish, who were not believers in God, and they were an Ammonite, and here's what the high priest, the high priest of the Jews did, is, is that he took a room in the temple, cleaned it out, a storage room, and made it into the living quarters so that when this guy, this Ammonite, Tobiah the Ammonite would show up, he could stay, he'd have a room ready for him, of all places, in the temple. You say, wait a minute now. What's wrong with that? That's hospitality, George. Well, remember the the law that we just read? They were not supposed to what? Associate with the Ammonites? And now you're giving this Ammonite, who's not even allowed in the temple, a room in the temple so that he could stay? Big problem, isn't it? Here's the other thing they did. They had people who were serving in the temple, serving and guiding the spiritual well-being of of the Jewish people. Here, 12 years later, it's recorded that Nehemiah comes back and he finds out that they're not paying them. They didn't pay them. They didn't take care of them. So guess what those singers and, and keepers of the house of God did? They went back to their fields, take care of themselves. They didn't follow through on their commitments to take care of God's house. That was the second problem. Here's the third problem. The third problem is that they um, were, you know, the Jews hold fast to the Sabbath. Sabbath is a Saturday. And on Friday evening until Saturday evening, you're not supposed to do any work. So that means stores are open. So when Nehemiah shows up 12 years later, guess what's going on? The marketplace is thriving on the Sabbath. 
People are coming in and doing all kinds of business and all kinds of work, and God's word strictly forbid that. They ignored God's word in that area. That was the third thing they did. Here's the fourth one they did. They were forbidden from marrying unbelievers. They were forbidden from, again, from intermingling with the Ammonites and the Moabites. And when he came back, he found that the Jewish men had taken foreign wives to be their wives. And so he had to deal with it. Four things that are going on. All of those four things were primary reasons why God destroyed Jerusalem in the first place. And guess what? Here they are, 12 years later, after rebuilding the wall, 12 years later of saying, we're going to serve you, God, and guess what they're doing? Back to doing the same thing again. Back to doing the same thing again. Now you say, okay, George, what does that have to do with you and I? Well, let's just stop for a moment. I think everybody here really appreciates the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, right? I think we really appreciate that he forgave us our sins, right? And I think we really appreciate that with that forgiveness and that salvation, he really gives us what? A new chance. A new life. A new start. But have you noticed, and I'm, this is, I'm not, this is not you, this is us, okay? I'm part of this. Have you noticed that while we appreciate all that, we still keep gravitating back to doing the stuff that we know we shouldn't be doing? And there's a term for it. It's an old term. Haven't used it in a long time. Probably haven't heard it in a while. It's called being backslidden. Remember terms like that when you went to church? Some of the older folks remember those terms. That folks get what? Backslidden? Now that, that sounds almost legalistic, George. No, it isn't. Because that's what we tend to do, right? We tend to fall back into what? Old habits, old ways of doing things. And a lot of times, we're doing the stuff that we shouldn't be doing again. Isn't that what they were doing 12 years later? They had backslidden. So here's what we're going to do, folks. With our remaining time, we're going to look at four areas here and learn four principles. We're going to divide it into two sections. We're going to see, first of all, the reminder. Verses 1 to 3 that I read to you are the reminder. How they should be living. And then we're going to see their backslidden state in verses 4 through 31, and we're going to learn some faith principles about how we live. Because here's the thing. It's wonderful that we did this series on rebuilding the walls. It's wonderful. It's wonderful that we're going to focus on rebuilding the walls in our lives, in our, in our marriages, in, in, in our families, and even rebuilding the walls in our church. Okay? But the fact of the matter is, what are you going to do when they're rebuilt? you got to make a conscious decision to make sure that they don't fall apart again. you got to change some things. In fact, you know what? We have a newsletter here. The latest article I wrote in the newsletter, a little thought for you, is, is that you're the strength of our church. Our church isn't going to go any further than who you are, not necessarily me. 
The strength of our church isn't found in the preacher. The strength of our church is found right there where you sit. What, is there a key underneath the pew? No, it's you sitting in the pew. You're the strength of our church. And it's all about you and your relationship with Jesus. It's all about me and my relationship with Jesus. So let's look at this together. Let's learn some faith principles. All right, so first thing, from the first three verses, verses, we see this. God's word reminded them that they cannot include the world in their worship. Now, worship, can I explain to you, is not an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday. That's not worship. Worship is your life interacting with Jesus 24-7. See, what we've done is we've reduced worship down to this concept of it's the music time at church. No, worship is more than music, folks. It's you glorifying Jesus with your life Every day of the week. See, we like to compartmentalize things. We like to make it, you know, well, there's my work time, and then there's my buddy time with my buddies, and then there's my family time, and then there's my alone time, and then there's my church time. And it's interesting how we are somebody different in each one of those times. But worship is supposed to be you with God glorifying him in every area of your life, in every time of your life. And you were called to not include the world, worldly values, worldly ways of thinking, worldly actions in any of that. You're called to be different. That's what he was telling them in verses 1 to 3. You're to separate. But that's the problem, isn't it? We're not. We're not. And that's why, can I be honest with you, have you noticed, have you ever talked to people, oh, I go to church. Well, I don't go to church. Why don't you go to church? Well, usually when I go to church, have you heard it? Church is filled with nothing but what? Hypocrites. Well, yeah, I understand why they say that. Because the person they see at work or in the family gathering isn't the person that comes to church. Might be the same body, might be the same haircut, but you're a different person somewhere else. That is the epitome of being a what? Hypocrite. Being one thing one place else, being something somewhere else. And that's not worship, folks. Worship is more, it's me glorifying God throughout the week, being the same everywhere. God's word reminds them that they can't include the world in worship. So here's the first faith principle, okay? Faith understands that they must be separate from the world. If I'm going to live by faith, you know, if I get up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm going to live by faith and trust in you today, that means I'm going to live by faith in every area of my life, not just the problem I'm facing, but every area. How I conduct myself at work, how I conduct myself with my family, how I conduct myself with my friends, how I am alone when nobody else is around to see me. First, by the way, can I be honest with you? You're never alone. And stuff always is revealed. I have been, listen, I have been in airports around the world. Listen, I have been in airports and you think, 
well, you know, I'm over here in Asia, and they're back there in Kerwinsville, and walk down, and somebody comes out of a gate. Hey, George, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? You're never alone. You're accountable wherever you are. The enemy would like for you to think that you're not, but you are. See, faith understands that you've got to live different. If you say you're a follower of Jesus, then be a follower of Jesus. That's what he calls us to, isn't it? Here's the second thing that happens. comes out of the first problem. Remember I told you that they gave this foreigner who was not even supposed to be in the temple a room in a temple for him to have his relaxed time? Here's the second thing I want you to see here in this backslidden state. So we're going to talk about being backslidden now. We're going to talk about how we get there, talk about what we can do about it. Here it is. Their spiritual inconsist- inconsistency led to compromise and the, the neglect of what is right. Their spiritual inconsistency led to compromise and the neglect of what is right. Listen. I'm going to be honest with you. I'll just be frank. You know, I'll have conversations with people, and through the years, I've even had friends who this has happened to, and like I had a friend who was a pastor who fell morally. And, and you know, the, and, and the question is, how did that happen? How did that happen? I'm going to be honest with you. You don't wake up in the morning and decide that you're going to sleep with your secretary. You don't wake up in it. That just does happen in the, in the morning. Can I tell you how you get to the where you decide in the morning you're going to sleep with your secretary? Your life deteriorated months before that. You became spiritually inconsistent months before that. It just didn't happen. You just didn't wake up and decide to do that. Your life started spiraling down, and my friend's life started to spiraling down way before that. You don't wake up and make those kind of decisions. You don't end up there. You just don't, oh, well, how did I fall into this? No, you made conscious decisions that were inconsistent with your spirituality, and guess what you decided to start doing? You decided to neglect what was right until one day you were doing wrong. And actually, in this case, he was doing wrong a long time. He just got caught. The reality is, listen to me, that's called being backslidden. And you know what? We can be harsh. I can be harsh Think be harsh about my friend. But you know what? Every single one of us, given the right circumstances, the right situation, can find ourselves in the same place because we are inconsistent in our spiritual lives. We don't take it serious. And we don't separate ourselves from the world's values. And every one of us, me included, can find ourselves waking up one day and deciding to do something that we know is flat out wrong. But we don't have a conscience anymore. We don't have anything holding us back. It's because we started to decline spiritually long before that because we were being inconsistent. You don't wake up and decide, hey, we're going to let our enemy have a hotel room at the temple. You don't wake up and decide that. You get to there after a period of time and you find yourself in a bad situation. And the reason why you're there is because you're no longer walking with Jesus.
So here's the faith principle. Here's the faith principle. Faith knows that God will support us as we deal with sin. Faith knows that God will support us as we deal with sin. Listen, look at verse 14. This is after Nehemiah deals with this issue of them neglecting to do what's right. Read this. There are three prayers here in Nehemiah. This is the first one. Remember, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its services. What's he doing here? He's resting in the reality that God's going to support him as he deals with sin. All right, let's stop. I want you to think with me. You don't have to think too long because the Holy Spirit's going to show it to you. Right now, God's Spirit is saying to you, you know what? This is an area of weakness in your life. And you're not doing right in this area. Now, I don't know what it is. I don't have no crystal ball. How can I say that? Because you're a human being. And if you're not doing what you should be doing, and if you're not growing with Jesus, you're going to go backwards. And if you're neglecting areas in your life, it's going to come out eventually. Now, you decide, because the Holy Spirit's working on your heart and convicting you, that you need to deal with whatever that issue is. Okay? All right. So here you are, you're like, okay, yeah, I know I need to deal with it. Now, here's the problem. The enemy will come to you and say to you, well, that's great, but you can't do it alone. And you know what you say? Yeah, you're right. I've tried it. I failed. There's no way I can do it alone. So you don't even bother. Well, I'm telling you, you're listening to a lie. The lie isn't, because he's telling you a truth, you can't do it alone. You can't. There's no way for you to overcome sin on your own. That's the truth. Satan's telling you a truth there. But he's not telling you, he's telling you a half-truth. The half, the other half of the truth is, but through Jesus you can do all things. You hear what I said? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Isn't that what Scripture says? All right. So here's the thing. You're backsliding. You realize that I'm, I'm heading in the wrong direction. I need to stop. I need to start dealing with this sin. The way that I deal with this sin is not try to do it on your own because you're going to fail. All right? We understand that, right? You're going to fail. But what you do is, is by faith, you put your trust in who? Who said who's going to what? Help you. Help you. And believe me, folks, I've seen it. He will. You get up in the morning and you say, God, I want this day to be different. I want to live by faith in you. I want to deal with this issue. I don't want to give in to this. I don't want to give in to that. I need your help. And here's what will happen. I've seen it happen. You'll be sitting there and you'll be struggling with wanting to do what you know you shouldn't be doing. And you're like, God, I, I'm, I'm weak. I can't handle this. I can't handle this. I want to go do this. And I've seen him do this. Here's what I've seen him do. Phone ring. Ring. Hey, what are you doing right now? You want to get together? Let's have a coffee. Let's talk. How did that happen? God knew you needed somebody right there to help you during that time. That's when you got to stop for a moment and you say this. Thank you, Jesus. You're supporting me. You're supporting me. That's faith. 
Faith knows that God will support you as you as we deal with the sin. You've got to believe that. See, God's not some meanie who sits there and says, this is the line, I want you to meet it, you figure out how to do it. No, God says this is the line, I'll help you get there. Do you understand? You've got to believe that. You've got to believe that. Here's the second thing. Second thing that's going on. We see it from these three stories. <clears throat> they chose not to honor and obey God's commandments. They chose not to honor and obey God's commandments. Remember I told you that they were commanded to keep the Sabbath holy? That is, they were not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath, but 12 years later, when Nehemiah comes, he finds them doing business. How did they get to that place? Well, they got to the place where they decided that that was one rule, one commandment they didn't need to follow anymore. Can I tell you something? When you end up in a backslidden state where you are digressing in your relationship with Jesus, the chances are is that you've decided that there are some things that you don't need to do anymore. That there are some things that God has told you flat out in his word that you have decided that are arbitrary. And that doesn't really apply to you. It applies to everybody else but you. Because God doesn't understand what you're going through right now. Folks, that's a lie. He understands everything you're going through. And the reason why he gave you those commandments is not so that he can be a cosmic killjoy in your life. It's so that he can protect you because he knows that if you go in that direction, guess what? You're opening yourself up for misery. So they chose not to obey and honor God's commandments. So again, now let's look at this next, because Nehemiah, he, he got serious about this, and what did he do? He put an end to everything, violently put an end to everything, and I want you to look at his, the, the faith principle that we see here. Faith makes the adjustments to bring your life into obedience. Faith makes the adjustments to bring your life into obedience. See, faith doesn't just rely on the support of God to help you to get from dealing with your sin. Faith also now decides, okay, i got to make an adjustment here. So can I tell you something? For some of you, the adjustment may be getting rid of an app on your phone because that's leading to compromise in your life and where you shouldn't be. The adjustment may be changing your friends. Because the friends you have, fact is, there's a history there. Every time you hang around with those friends, you always end up in the ditch. You always end up in trouble. They're laughing, but you're in trouble. Change your friends. The adjustment is, is maybe you need to change something in your lifestyle. Maybe you need to change this, what's influencing you here in the media or whatever. You know, I don't know what the adjustment is. You know what the adjustment is because God's telling you to make the adjustment. Faith says, okay, I'm going to step out in faith and make the adjustments to bring my life back into obedience to you, God. And do what I got to do. That's what faith does. See, again, you don't wake up in the morning and decide you're going to do something that's wrong. You went down a long, slippery slope to do that, and the fact is, is you know what you got to do to readjust your life to bring it back to where it needs to be. Faith trusts God to help them, helps, help that person to do that. Do you understand? Here's the third thing I want you to see. 
And this is the whole thing about the intermarriage thing. Can I be honest with you? The, the rule hasn't changed. First, Second Corinthians chapter 6, be not unequally yoked to unbelievers. That's a commandment for the church today as it was for the Jews. Don't marry unbelievers. You're bringing heartache in your life. Don't do it. Now here's what they did. They willfully chose to join themselves to the world. I mean, 12 years later, it was because they were so connected to the world that God punished them and destroyed Jerusalem. And here they are. God's shown them grace again. They've rebuilt the walls. And 12 years later, guess what they're doing again, folks? The same old thing that led to problems before. I mean, think about it. If, if, if I put my hand in a machine, and every time I put my hand in a machine, it gets smacked and hurts, and I keep doing that, I keep putting it back in, that's not a mistake, that's called stupidity. Did you understand what I'm saying? If I'm constantly doing what I know is going to hurt me, it's not that I got it all wrong. It's not that it was a mistake on my part. After a while, maybe the first couple times I could believe it, but after about 50 times, it's just that you're dumb. And I'm dumb. I'm just being honest with you. And for the Jewish people there to know that every time they started intermingling and, and, and getting with the ungodly and following after them and turning away from God, God would, would always deal with them. And then here they are, they get another chance, and guess what they do? They do it again. That's just dumb. But I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of us are dumb. We just got to admit that. We're dumb. So here's the faith principle. Faith takes radical steps to deal with sinful compromise. Faith takes radical steps to deal with sinful compromise. In fact, that's what Nehemiah did. It's pretty radical. If you read this, I would encourage you to read it on your own. Here's how he handled it. He went up to the guys who had married these women, and he was pulling their hair out. Whoa. They actually let him do that? Well, he's the governor. He's probably got bodyguards with him. But he's putting a smackdown on them because they're not doing right and putting everybody in danger. They did what they had to do. They took radical steps. Hey, let's go back to what I said about changing friends. I'm going to be honest with you folks. That's radical. For some of you, that will be a radical thing to do. Quit doing, going to places that you used to hang out with. That's a radical thing. Quit, quit doing this or quit doing that. That's radical. Why? Because you decided that your life and your well-being with Jesus is more important than anything else. And faith takes the radical steps to deal with sinful compromise. And sometimes I'm going to be honest with you. It means being radical. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm there. I'm struggling. I'm struggling like you're struggling. Do I really want to do that? Do I really want to do that? Do I really want to do that? Well, let me ask you something. How's it going for us continuing to live the way that we're living, knowing that we're not where we should be, and God's not blessing us the way that we should be blessed? How's it going? It's not going good, is it? When all we have to do is do what he told us to do and get radical. And listen, I'll be honest with you. He'll give you the strength to do it. And later on, you'll be glad. I'll be glad.
Now, here's where, here's where we're at. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Do you like the walls crumbled in your life, your marriages, your families, in the church? Do you like it when everything is shattered and blown apart? Do you like it? One person doesn't like it. Do you like it? No. Okay. We want to make the effort to repair them, right? Right? We do? So when they get repaired, and we bring wholeness back again, is it smart to just forget about it? And let it fall back into a state of deterioration again and let our actions once again blow them apart? Is that smart? No. Can I ask you, then why are we doing it? Because we're dumb, George. I can tell you, I'm dumb. It's going to take, here's the issue, faith. To do something different. To do something different with our lives, as God wants us to do them. To do something different with our marriages, as God wants us to do them. It's going to take faith to do something different in our families. It's going to take faith to do something different in the way that we do church. But here's the thing I'm going to tell you. The promise is, is he will help you to do it. But the question is, is do you have faith to do it? Do you have faith? Let me pray for you.